And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning. This is Back Chat for Friday, May the 5th on RTHK Radio 3. Welcome to the show. I'm Andrew Work. And I'm Janice Wong. And today we are talking about mainland China's Golden Week holiday and the impact on Hong Kong. Immigration records show that throughout the five-day period, 625,000 mainland visitors entered Hong Kong, a higher-than-expected figure, but it still hasn't matched pre-COVID levels. The Travel Industry Authority, which regulates travel agents and tour guides, recorded 453 inbound tour groups, drawing 13,800 visitors. Hotel rates soared to record high, with increases of up to 540%, before sharply dropping at the end of the holiday on Wednesday. And later on the show at 9.45, we're going to be looking into the Hong Kong Police Force's relaxed entry requirements. Maybe now is your chance to join. To get your questions on air, leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. And we got a great lineup of guests for you today. Uh, starting kicking off, I'd like to say hello to Maurice Kong, who's the chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. Good morning, Maurice. Making sure we got Maurice on the line. Maybe, maybe not. Maurice, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm there. Oh, yeah. great. Great. Good morning. Just, just yeah. wanted to check in with you. We also have joining us today Haiyan Song, who is the chair, professor, and associate dean at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management, Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Good morning, Professor Song. Good morning. Good morning. And with us right here in the studio, I can see the whites of his eyes, it's Casper Tsui, who is the executive director at the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners. Uh, Good morning, Casper. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Casper, you you and I, not so unlike in my my day job, I also run a business association for uh, the self-storage industry. But hotel owners right now, they must be feeling pretty buoyant after this past weekend. What are you? What what are you? What are you hearing? Well, I I wouldn't say they're very buoyant. I mean, it's just a five day weekend. Uh, it's a good number. Uh, we we see a good showing uh, this long weekend. We've been expecting uh, this weekend as a, uh, a stress test on our capability to host a large number of tourists uh, right after COVID in the past two and a half years. Mm. Now, um, it's it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see the tourists are coming to Hong Kong. I uh, I was checking online with uh, some of the figures, especially mainland visitors. Uh, we are Hong Kong and Macau is one of the top destination that they would like to pick uh, for the long holiday. That's really exciting to see. Uh, however, um, I think there is, uh, we're not at the uh, maximum capacity level, just like you mentioned earlier. Mm. 625,000, great numbers. Yeah. But if we look at the pre-COVID, it's way higher than that. How, how much would it have been <clears throat> during the pre-COVID era? Now, <clears throat> this is about 60% of... Uh, 60% yes. only? Yes. Now, there's several reasons. Mm. Uh, one, it's we, when we look at the, um, the flight capacity issue, mm-hmm. uh, the flights are only at less than 50% right now. Wow. Okay. So we're looking at the long haul, the medium uh, uh, travelers, they're not... You know, be able to come back uh, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as well, uh, in the uh, uh, back in the days, uh, the uh, Golden Week is not just the mainland travelers. We get a lot of Japanese travelers coming in 
town as well. Um, as well, when we look at uh, uh, summer travelers, when we talk to them, uh, they not be able to get the permit done uh, in time. Oh, so okay. and uh, also we we're seeing the uh, influx of travelers. They have more options nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, uh, when we look at the numbers coming into Hong Kong, it's exciting to see that we're still very competitive. Because mm-hmm. uh, the content, uh, Hong Kong, we're still able to offer a rich variety of, uh, I guess, traveled. Uh, uh, content uh, like the West Kowloon sure. uh, and plus these are all new uh, mm-hmm. they're coming in to see the new museums uh, as well as uh, I think nowadays especially this long weekend uh, we won't be able to see a lot of tour, tour groups coming in because uh, uh, traditionally this long weekend is about you know travelers you know, playing, planning their own itinerary mm-hmm. but this has been the trend as well right. more and more travelers especially from Langland they have more experience Mm-hmm. Going to, I guess, all over the world. The, the travelers uh, 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 coming to Hong Kong this weekend, I, I was able to talk to them. Uh, they've been to like Russia, America, Europe, you know, they're all over the world. Yeah. So for them, uh, they're looking for rich content. They're mm-hmm. looking for a, a, a more in-depth experience. Sure. And I think Hong Kong, we are still not only able to offer uh, that content, we're able to offer new content. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for example, tourists are coming in, they want to not only see, you know, cultures and museums, they want to go into the little districts and experience the little, you know, street routes. Sure, of course. <laughs> uh, as well as we have the, the mega events, pop concerts, you know, they like to go, you know, uh, uh, for hiking as well. So mm-hmm. so these are all the varieties that, that we're seeing. Uh, but yes, we're excited to see that people are choosing Hong Kong uh, among all the other destination also very competitive mm-hmm. uh, we're still like number two uh, right behind like Thailand <laughs> yeah and I mean this this was a big concern because there were a lot of people saying that uh, you know after COVID maybe Hong Kong wasn't going to come back maybe people were not going to be interested to come here for the things before Professor Song I mean uh, we're hearing from Casper that it's a multimodal uh, slowdown it's airlines it's hotels it's getting access to visas maybe Japan's gone offline for you, um, are there some parts of this that you are concerned that Hong Kong is, is or some parts of this chain that are not going to come back, that are not going to recover? Uh, yeah, actually, just to return to your earlier question about the, the number of tourist arrivals during the Golden Week period, uh, we have a 600, uh, around uh, 600,000, but uh, pre-COVID-19, in 2018, it is 1.2 million. So it's a little bit over 50% of uh, uh, tourists compared with uh, pre-COVID-19 level, so there's still a lot of room to uh, uh, to you know, to to be developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of uh, the uh, uh, mainland Chinese tourists, I think you probably read the news that uh, uh, in ma- uh, mainland China, the domestic tourists has actually boomed, and uh, a lot of uh, attractions destinations has been overwhelmed by uh, domestic tourists. So I think the reason for that is uh, Chinese tourists still have not uh, fully uh, confidence in terms of travel internationally. So there's still some uh, perception of risk uh, of international travel. So they probably uh, uh, will start uh, uh, travel within China. So that's why you see um, the domestic tourists actually is, uh, you know, four or five times higher than it uh, used to be. Uh, so this actually uh, is uh, something that uh, it will take time 
for mm. Chinese tourists to venture uh, abroad, especially uh, long haul destinations. So you, but you in think terms you, of you, Hong Kong, I think uh, Hong Kong is still yeah. uh, attractive destination, and uh, many uh, Chinese tourists uh, still want to come to Hong Kong at least as a uh, you know. Um, uh, Stepping uh, point, uh, uh, travel to other destinations, uh, uh, you know, in in Asia and Pacific. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, the uh, tourism capacity, I agree. We still are constrained by airline capacity, labor shortages, and that actually will influence the experience of tourists when they travel to Hong Kong. Uh, but I guess this will take some time. Uh, for the uh, things to uh, to be ironed out. Right. And uh, we just mentioned that there, there have been more tourists coming to Hong Kong, but it's just uh, around 60% of the pre-COVID levels. Um, let, let's go to uh, Maurice Kong, Chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. Mr. Kong, yeah. good morning. Um, good morning. So, so, I mean, we've just heard what uh, Mr. Cho was saying. Um, how was business over the Golden Week holiday? For for food and beverage, um, actually, it's most of the hotel we can see is full. And um, what we learned from that, uh, quite a lot of uh, tourists, uh, they train their habits. Yeah, um, um, they they start to choose what they want. Yeah, and maybe they they find those items from the social media as well. Yeah, not not that uh, uh, direct night before. Yeah. So what do you mean by change their habits? They they are um, eating out more, eating out less. So what do you, what exactly are you talking about? Um, actually, what what we see uh, compared to the previous one is uh, eating less. Actually, um, um, they they will spend more time for 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 sightseeing or or rather than uh, to to stay longer time in the restaurant. And uh, what what they they chose uh, normally is those are basic. Basic things yeah. and like a local food and and, and some items they not uh, to take photos okay and put in social media yeah. So in other words, they're doing things that don't cost a lot of money. They're doing they're kind of going down market. I mean, it doesn't cost anything to go somewhere and take an Instagram photo to put on your social media. It costs a lot less to do that than it does to spend a day at Ocean Park or a day at Disney. So you're you're saying that people are going downscale. Uh, actually, when, when we see the figure compared compared to uh, peak COVID, yeah, uh, it seems that yes. And huh. and however, uh, um, some some um, tourists, okay, uh, they focus on uh, going to those uh, destination, uh, the new destination, I would say, yeah. So uh, normally they will take a long queue, so sometimes they have no time to eat. Actually, yeah, they may just grab the basic food, yeah, while waiting. Right. No, no. I mean, this is an this is an interesting perspective because you do see this when you're walking around Central. Uh, people aren't going shopping. They're going to like a mural and taking pictures. People are literally lining up or they're going to public housing. There's that one public housing spot where everybody goes to take their Instagram photos or social media photos. Because, um, I mean, for you, Maurice, you're at the very end of a chain. People have to get a visa. They have to get a flight. They have to get a hotel. And then if they can do all then they will end up in a restaurant in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, but you're saying they're going downscale. What's happening at the fine dining level? Are the, are the five-star dining establishments getting some of the tourism uptake, or are they still suffering? Um, actually, for, for fine dining, uh, I would say they are running uh, uh, vice versa. It's pretty good. And, and the, the attraction not only come from mainland, but also from a different country. Uh, and also people, they would book at the restaurant before they book the ticket for those fine dining. 
It's rather some finding even for local people, we, we couldn't get any table at all. Yeah. So um, of those finding, uh, what I heard for business uh, was really good. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard that actually. I've had that experience. Casper, um, uh, are you seeing lumpiness in this? Is there a difference between the the high end hotels, the mid range hotels, the low end hotels? Who 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 kind of did the best? And did they do the best because they're just the bookings came, or because they had the capacity, the staffing? I, I think uh, the staffing is it's, it's a major concern. Mm -hmm. uh, we can go into that later on. Uh, just wanted to get back on the uh, Maurice uh, comment. I, I think Hong Kong, we're seeing tourists uh, venturing into different, uh, like for example, dining. They would go to the high scale, Mission and Stars one. Uh, you will see very high booking there. Uh, they look for quality. Mm. So um, the traditional like tourist group going to you know certain restaurants, you may not see that because they get like what we do. Sometimes we travel to different countries. We look uh, online and see you know getting good referrals. Mm. Um, so uh, I think um, we are seeing tourists uh, looking for high end, good mm. experience, uh, good content. As well as uh, just because it's uh, cheaper, mm -hmm. they are also looking for that rich experience, like people going to some Chipotle, uh, sure. just to experience <clears throat> that market where I can get you know nice cheap electronics. You know, uh, I, I'm still very old school when you talk about you know buying old uh, camera. I thought it's the film camera, sure. uh, but you know it's that, a different days. But that, that's a theoretically we've been hearing that story for a long time now. But what are the numbers actually showing us from the past the past week or so? <clears throat> the past week, I. I um, the numbers I'm seeing across the board is very positive. Yeah. Um, so you're seeing customers all, uh, all yeah across the board because uh, if I look at figures uh, before the uh, golden week and after, um, figures have been telling us that even the eighties, uh, uh, the post eighties uh, and nineties, the younger generation, they come, they they go to cheaper hotels, but they mm. want the hotels to be in great location. So they can go down, they don't have to line up, they go shopping. I see shopping uh, lining up as well. Mm -hmm. um, the theme park is still quite full, so okay. we, so we're seeing that you know different families, different preferences. Uh, travelers are more diverse; they look for different content. And mm -hmm. uh, the good thing is, Hong Kong is able to offer uh, to all different kind of tourists when they look for. Um, the pleasure, <laughs> good sure. stuff. They have that. They want the the street food. They want the local experience. Sure. Uh, they also have that. So yeah, I, yeah. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy to see that this past weekend has uh, given our tours uh, some very good experience uh, to go back with. Right. So, so what's been the uh, hotel occupancy rate? Um, for some of the, um, the 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 peak destination, like in Chim Sam Choi, Mong Kok, you know, it's location location. We're seeing you know the high nineties. Some are fully booked. Mm. Uh, so this is good numbers, uh, just to show that when the transparency is very high, uh, mainland travelers, just like you said, uh, they have options. Yeah. They can go to Beijing. Uh, they can go to Sanya. Uh, I look at the numbers there. The the rates are also very high. Uh, mm. Some told me it's, it's like 10 times the, the low season. But yeah. I think the more concern is the consistency. Yes, we see a good weekend, five days, but we can't survive in just five days. We're looking at a drop in uh, tourists coming in after a long weekend. So uh, after the stress test, mm -hmm. what's next? We're looking forward uh, to the summer and the uh, national holidays. Uh, are we able to continue to attract tourists mm. to come back all those who can't get their permit uh, this previous weekend, mm -hmm. uh, would they be thinking of Hong Kong as one of the top destinations? 
Uh, so I think, yeah, a lot of promotion role show, uh, especially for those living in, if they take the high-speed rail, three to four hours uh, distance or further, uh, these are the customers that we want to attract. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as the flight, you know, we, we, are we flying to Japan? Are we uh, going to Beijing, Shanghai, or further uh, provinces and cities to attract tourists who wish to come to Hong Kong as yeah. uh, one of the top destinations? So, yes. Yeah, Janice? All right. And uh, Professor Song? Song. Um, just now, um, Mr. Cho is talking about, uh, he's describing this a golden week uh, holiday period as a stress test to see um, um, if, if Hong Kong will be uh, still attractive during the summer or on its uh, capacity to host uh, tourists after COVID. What is your, uh, I mean, if this is a stress test, uh, what is your uh, assessment? Did, did we pass? <laughs> did we pass the test? And I mean, and, and yeah, actually, yeah, I think uh, it is, uh, it is a kind of a test, but I think we are doing okay. I was uh, Actually, in Macau uh, during the uh, May holiday, um, there actually uh, I would say uh, there were more tourists uh, coming to Macau because of uh, you cannot book a hotel. I actually tried to book a hotel during the uh, May holiday period. It is all full. Uh, this is very difficult uh, to uh, book a hotel there. But Hong Kong, I think. Uh, uh, we attract a lot of um, uh, day visitors. Uh, I have uh, quite a few friends who are visiting uh, Hong Kong from Guangdong, Shenzhen, and they invite me to uh, to dinner in a very good restaurants, but I was not here. So uh, there's a lot of day visitors, and they are coming here just for uh, a day and then go back uh, to home. Uh, so I think, um, uh, yeah, as uh, we mentioned earlier, the type of tourists uh, and also the behavior of tourists may have changed uh, due to the COVID-19. You will see the tourists probably uh, at least visiting Hong Kong during the Golden Week period. They are more sophisticated. They're looking for different things to do uh, instead of just shopping and buying mm. things and take them back. Uh, and also they're probably more interested in uh, local cuisine, you know, fine dining restaurants and also uh, local cultural heritage. Uh, so they become more sophisticated, and the, yeah. the generation will be younger and younger in terms of tourists. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and every time we do the show, we hear the same thing. Oh, they want more local experiences. They don't just want to go shop. I mean, this is, this is kind of tried at this point. I mean, if it feels like people are talking about tourists of thirty years ago, it's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> we know. We've moved on from that. We get it. Um, but what we really want to know is where are the bottlenecks. You talk about going to Macau. I knew people that went over the uh, the holidays to Macau. They said they spent two hours in customs trying to get into Macau after they got off the boat. Yeah. Uh, then they were only there for the afternoon. Then another two hours trying to get out of the place. I mean, uh, that is not a high quality experience. Uh, and so I'm wondering, I mean, you know, I asked this earlier and I haven't really got a good answer yet. Where are the choke points? Uh, where are the weak spots in people's experiences? Is it coming, like I said, is it getting a visa? Is it coming through immigration? <clears throat> in Macau, it sounds like they have a bottleneck in getting hotel rooms. Uh, Hong Kong, it sounds like we don't have a problem with that yet, um, but maybe it's the staffing. I mean, where where are the weak spots that we really need to address? I'll, I'll take an answer from anybody who's got an opinion. Casper's uh, yeah, Casper's got his hand up in the studio. <laughs> Hi, Ann. And Professor Song, we'll get to you and Maurice. I'm sure you've got something to say, but Casper first. Yes, I think that the, the yeah. major bottleneck is going to be the labor shortage problem. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, just for yeah. this five days weekend, we're able to redeploy some of our staffs. Um, however, five days is okay. If mm. we want to continue that, like for the summer, two months, 
Yeah. We won't be able to open our hotel room at the highest capacity, just like what happened to Macau this long weekend. We were able to just barely, you know, survive this weekend. Uh, yeah. But long term, yes, bottleneck would be the uh, shortage of staff. Gotcha. Uh, Professor Song? Yeah, I agree. Basically, uh, the labor shortages and also capacity constraints, not only in terms of airlines and also restaurants, hotels, uh, all these actually uh, uh, affect uh, the tourist experience. Mm. So if, a tur- if tourists are happy when they visit uh, Hong Kong, they, ex- they will spread their word uh, when they go back. But if they are not happy because of labor shortages and uh, different type of constraints, and they were dissatisfied. They were spared a negative uh, word of mouth as well. So I think uh, improving the experience is a key yeah. uh, for the success of tourists uh, in Hong Kong in the future. Keep training those students, Professor. So Maurice, in the restaurant industry, is, we know has been hit by this. What is the current state of, of the staffing? Uh, well, still critical. And, and almost all restaurants, we don't have enough manpower. Yeah, that's a bottleneck. And we have to keep the image uh, as a destination for, for food and beverage or for all tourists. However, shortage manpower is a key, okay, for us to improve. Is there a ferocious amount of poaching going on right now in the restaurant industry? Because I know I hang out at a couple of places where uh, they're more daytime dining. The staff are expected to learn the regular customers' names, and the staff turnover is ferocious. I'm like, you know, they can't do it. But then when you ask these people, oh, you know, welcome, you know, nice to see you here. Where did you come from? They're coming from Michelin-starred restaurants. They're coming from five-star dining establishments to places like private clubs, you know, where the restaurant closes at 10 or 11. They're like, oh, good, I can have a family life now. Uh, I mean, is, is, are, are people in the industry able to kind of level up because demand is so high? Better salary, better working conditions? Um, actually, when we go out uh, normally, uh, nighttime, after 9 or 9.30, you, you see quite a lot of restaurants. Yeah, it, it's pretty empty. Yeah, mm. uh, I would say for the past three years, quite a lot of people, they love to have an early dinner. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the challenges. Yeah. Yeah, even the the tourists, yeah, uh, those people from mainland, normally they will take an early dinner as well. Yeah, oh. about the business after night, so that's another trend. What uh, for food and beverage industry? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize it was kind of an earlier dining after COVID. People have gotten a little more used to going home earlier, a little more family life. Yeah, we, we, well, we, we we can see okay that, and 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 some area even after nine thirty, uh, it's pretty quiet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but before, no, it's, it's, uh, after 9.30, maybe another uh, uh, round of drinks or whatever, but now no longer. Not anymore. We've got to get some more Spaniards in Hong Kong. I hear they do dinner like super late. Maurice, we've yeah. only got you to 9.30. Our other guests have been continuing off. We've got about a minute and a half left. Um, what are some of the new, just very quickly in restaurants, what are some of the new trends that restaurants have to be on top of if they want to get more mainland diners in their restaurants you know 25 30 years ago it was like red wine and coke and sprite and white wine but i mean that's all long done mainland chinese tourists don't do that anymore what are the trends now that you have to have in your restaurant if you want to get mainland tourists um, um first of all we need to focus on those uh, uh signature item uh, what what they are looking for and and no matter what item okay it's be really good for them to take photos <laughs> i'm afraid that that's a much yeah <laughs> so so you have uh, to, you have to have a signature item that will draw people into your restaurant and then it has to be something photographable 
<laughs> oh, yes, yes. You think that we have no choices, yeah. And, and, and very difficult ask them to have a full dinner, okay? Normally, they, they just take few, two or three items, that's it, yeah. Really? So the, the concept of a full dinner is, is on the way out? Because they want because they want to go to more places, take more pictures. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, true. It's, it's, it's another challenge for us. <laughs> yeah. mm, all right. Well, there are definitely uh, a lot of challenges facing the industry right now, and it uh, is. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Maurice Kong is the chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals, uh, and we're going to head off into the half hour news. Um, we do have one email that we got from David. Uh, maybe we can use this to lead in the second half. He says, we are not excited about the tourist situation. We see hotels inflating their prices, airlines and restaurants inflating their prices. We see you creating inflation and making general Hong Kong people poor. And we don't have enough buses making local people late for work. Who wants to come to Hong Kong if it's the most expensive place in Asia? Turns out quite a lot of people and hopefully more in the future. But David, we'll talk about that after the news. Give you a quick hit on the weather. The weather today. Looking good, mainly fine, hot during the day, maximum temperature around 31 degrees in the urban areas, a little bit hotter in the new territories. Uh, looking ahead for the weekends, uh, we're going to have a few showers tomorrow and thunderstorms on Sunday and Monday, slightly cooler and becoming brighter early next week. So nice today, some showers tomorrow and then thunderstorms Sunday. So be ready for action. Uh, and there we go. This is Andrew Work and Janice Wong on Back Chat. And we're going to take you to the weather. The temperature is 27 degrees. The time is 9.29 and now 9.30. And now the news with Andrew Shirovsky. A primary school in Kennedy Town says education officials have rejected its appeal against the decision not to allow it to take in primary one students in the next academic year. The 69-year-old St. Charles School was informed in March that it had fallen one short of the minimum requirement of 16 pupils per class. High school student says she was pleasantly surprised to scoop a top international award for a virtual reality app she developed for dementia sufferers. Ingrid Chan won a Gold Plus award at the Geneva International Exhibition of Inventions. The German-Swiss International School student says she developed the app after her grandparents were diagnosed with dementia three years ago. And the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland has praised the conviction of four members of the far-right Proud Boys for seditious conspiracy over their role in the attack on the U.S. Capitol in 2021. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Be a positive parent and nurture children in proper ways with a good attitude. Show more care and encouragement to your children to help them build confidence. Cultivate positive and optimistic attitudes. Appreciate your children's uniqueness. Unleash their potential to help facilitate children's all-round development and promote their physical and psychological well-being. Parental care and love help children grow up with confidence. A new regulatory regime for the travel industry has been in full force from September the 1st, 2022. Travel agent, tourist guide and tour escort are regulated by the Travel Industry Ordinance. If a licensee commits any irregularities, the Travel Industry Authority will act according to the law. A travel agent must hold a valid license to do business. Always patronize a licensed agent to safeguard your interests. Please visit tia.org.hk for more.
And we're back on Back Chat. Uh, today we're talking about uh, the Golden Week holidays and I guess the whole the, the tourism industry in general and the impact it's having on Hong Kong. Uh, today on the show, continuing in the studio is Casper Tsui, Executive Director of the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners, and uh, Professor Haiyan Song, the Chair, Professor, and Associate Dean at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. And joining us now is Professor Glenn McCartney, Associate Professor in Integrated Resort and Tourism Management at the University of Macau. Professor McCartney, uh, good to have you on. Thanks for having us on. Hey, great. Okay, so Professor McCartney, we're gonna we're gonna start with you. Just before the uh, half hour, we uh, read out an email from somebody who was basically uh, making the claim that he wasn't excited about tourism because he, that made airlines and restaurants more expensive for the local people. Uh, tourism taking up places on buses, things like that. <clears throat> but, in, but in Macau, that's pretty much the only game in town. I mean, I'm sure people in the uh, Macau Department of Industry would disagree with that, but come on. <laughs> it's an industry town. I mean, uh, that's what you guys do. I mean, are people happy to see the tourists coming back? It's a very good point. I mean, it's it's a thing been around for decades is how residents react to tourism, the impacts, right? If you're if you're getting the benefits of employment, taxation, salaries, obviously your response to that will be we love tourism. But I guess if if you're feeling some sort of negative, you know, people are crowding out of fact capacity issues. So it's not just an issue for Macau as a tourism destiny, but globally you will read many cities around the world grapple with this issue of like numbers of tourists, mass tourism, overcrowding, over over tourism, so it's 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 an issue we have to work with, and it's called about tourism planning, master planning, and, and and actually planning ahead. And I think I'll talk about it later. But when we have these numbers coming in, how to maximize the the positive, i.e., the economics, employment, and so forth around small businesses, small restaurants, souvenir providers, but also making sure those negative impacts of like you know crowding out effect, you know inflation and so forth that um, those are minimized. And it's all about planning as well. And I, I think I'm going to be, I mean, I was in Hong Kong at the weekend, very notably, you know, the hotel prices go up and things like that. So, you know, and that can cause, you know, people, you know, that, that obviously can also be an issue too when tourists, you know, high prices as well. So the, the, the issue has been around a long time and it's just how you plan and manage in a very meaningful way. Hmm. Uh, you make an interesting point, given some other things we've heard. So if, in Hong Kong, Casper, if the, if the hotel prices were up in Hong Kong over the weekend, but you still have huge, you still have a lot of capacity, what does that tell us? You know, you, you would think if the hotels are full, raise prices. If you anticipate them being full, raise prices. We're saying that maybe we're at 60 percent of capacity, and yet the hotels are raising prices. Hmm. I mean, what does that tell us about how, you know, how they're thinking about the, the mind of the traveler as they're coming in. I, I think if you look at the numbers correctly, um, we have a high occupation uh, rate uh, this weekend. So what, what they're telling you is, yes, uh, less travelers uh, tourists coming to Hong Kong, uh, not due to, you know, uh, pricing. Uh, Hong Kong mm -hmm. is very competitive. It's just mm -hmm. like I said earlier. Tourists from mainland, uh, the pricing, the destination uh, uh, options are very transparent. They can compare. They have the option of going to Sanya, Beijing, uh, Singapore, <laughs> a lot of different cities. Uh, so we're seeing that, yes, uh, travelers are not at maximum capacity, but due to probably the transportation constraint. Mm -hmm. That we have flights are not coming in, right? Um, so um, and and luckily uh, we have, like I said, uh, maximum capacity. We have like hotels fully booked, right? Uh, so we're seeing high quality uh, 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 travelers coming to Hong Kong. We're able to come and and stay, 
And of course, uh, traditionally, uh, we have about more than sixty percent, about more than half uh, of travelers uh, would not stay overnight. Mm. That's been the trend. Wait, so our number of travelers is down by like forty percent. You said it was six percent, but the hotels are fully booked. Yes. So basically, we're losing the day trippers. Uh, we are not. Uh, well, the day trippers are, are still there. The yeah. day trippers, uh, because uh, uh, it's easier for them to get the transportation, the buses, the train to come. Mm. Uh, but you, you're seeing that the, 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 the peak demands, uh, basically, the, the ones who are able to spend, they are right. here in town. What I'm worried about is uh, what happens after. Yeah. We have a good five days weekend, and that's all. And when we're seeing the hotel's uh, capacity and the, and the pricing, we dropped uh, right after the holiday. Mm-hmm. Are we able to, uh, to continue to attract the customers when the capacity increases? Right. Uh, so these are the things that we should look into. Uh, if we are not able to address the labor shortage problem, uh, yes, we may see uh, a, a, a drop in our service quality, which mm-hmm. is something that uh, we do not want to see. Right. Do we end up with a situation of false capacity, Professor Song, because people say, oh, we have this many hotel rooms, but that's not the real capacity, because the real capacity is what the labor can support. Yeah, I think uh, if you uh, talk about the numbers, um, pre-COVID-19, you know, all hotels in Hong Kong are uh, more or less uh, running 90% occupancy. Now we are only about 60% or less than 6% of uh, arrivals uh, to Hong Kong. So there certainly were, uh, you know, the, the hotel rooms will not be uh, full, uh, or filled uh, due to the, you know, the... the no, but we're hearing the hotels are full, right? Not really. Some of them are full, some of, the, uh, some of them not, right? So some of them probably running 90%, depend on, depend on where the hotel is. And, uh, you know, some of them running 60%. So they are not necessarily full, Um uh, and also the price is a demand and supply issue, right? If uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, bookings into your hotel, then you probably will increase price. This is revenue management. Uh, and this is natural uh, that the price will increase during this period. But then after the holiday, then you will see the price uh, will return to uh, normal, if you see. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Professor McCartney, I imagine they've got pretty sophisticated uh, yield management and, and dynamic pricing models they're using in Macau. Are they are they saying if we if we can't take full capacity, let's get the the highest spending people? Are they? I mean, how how do they model that? Yeah, I mean, we have these large integrated resorts in the Kotai Strip, and obviously, and I've been listening to your talk just there in the last half hour, and, I, and uh, it's very notable. There's a lot of focus on numbers coming over borders. We had, had nearly half a million, right, over the five-day period. Hong Kong is 625,000. But what, what we have learned, really, and it's really, and I've been listening here, is how do you spread the spending? You know, Macau, historically, 50% of our visitors historically is day trippers. We appreciate, we understand we don't have the room capacity, but Juhai does. So, we, like, how do you spend across retail, across dining, across souvenirs, sightseeing? And I think, you know, when you're talking about out of this recovery, one thing that we have learned, for example, Chinese Year, we stress test some many weeks ago, an understanding that, wow, there's a significant ramp up and pent up demand. And we have we factored in that and, and, and sort of know that these numbers are going to continue. But how do you maintain those numbers? Mm-hmm. And we have capacity constraints. 
you know, 5% of, I hear, of our hotels were not available. We understand that going into Q2, Q3, how do you address the labour shortages so we can bring those online? Um, because, I mean, every room you can't sell, obviously, is, is revenue loss, is opportune cost. So mm. I think these, these, these things that happen in Macau are happening in Hong Kong. There's some, there's some similarities of lessons learnt. What can we do going forward? And to, to your issue about, you know, what do we learn from the weekend? You know, what do we learn from the, and how long will the recovery be? And, and therefore, how can we, you know, um, those issues of like labor shortages, get them online faster so you can ramp up that potential Q2, Q3. So this, this sort of, this discussions don't continue that we, that Hong Kong can go on to full recovery mode. And I think that, that, that that's really important because we have experienced that. I said Chinese New Year, we had the Qingming Festival, the Easter. So there was lots of uh, historical evidence to show us, you know, how we can, you know, as we say, share, you know, people are coming over here. They have a lot of, a lot of spending potential. It's not just a hotel room. It's like a, a, an array of uh, possibilities and, and, and new stuff. And like to your point about, about uh, you know, in, in China, domestic tourism for three years has understanding expectations and and experiences of a domestic tourist for three years in China. And Macau has been, been able to also work with that and understand that. Mm. Hey, uh, you make an interesting point about Tuhai uh, and the day trippers. I mean, a lot of Hong Kongers were trying to go to Macau. They're like, oh, we can't get hotel rooms. Forget, I guess we're not going. Is, is that an option to go to Tuhai and stay in hotels there? Do they have nice resort hotels? And then can you like then oh, yeah. step across the border? I mean, or how long does it take? We heard some horror stories about two-hour waits at the border. I mean, we, is it too high an option for somebody if they want to go to Macau to stay there and then day you know take a day trip into Macau? How easy is it? Uh, for me, oh, well, you know, even for Hong Kong, those day trip as well. So and yeah. the issue is, issue is, of course, capacity constraints. What I mentioned in January, I, I came, to, I was in Hong Kong at the weekend, and, and the ferries are not what they were, but they're better than January. But put, mm. but bringing the hospitality and tourism industry back online, you know, if, you know, the physical capacities takes time, and the quicker we can do that, obviously, the, there's a benefit to to the industry. So I mean, even Hong Kong day trippers come to Macau, and Macau day trippers go to Hong Kong. But of course, we, you know, you're, you're cut short by a 12 o'clock curfew getting back. But if you can extend that, then people will stay longer. And, and that, that's the whole thing about hospitality and tourism in Hong Kong or Macau, is how to get people to stay longer as long as possible and spread across uh, I, I, I know a whole, a whole realm of, um, of, of uh, well, in Macau, the gaming industry, but also we'll call it alternative game, uh, non-gaming um, as well. So yes, people could, day trippers are fine because we don't have the hotel capacity. So, you know, we, we, you know, both, both, you know, people who want to stay overnight and people who want a day trip, you know, they're, they're all tourists. They all have uh, w- w- willingness to spend. So it's yeah. good. It's just like, how do you manage for that? Yeah, well, definitely. I've done some day trips into Macau that extended a lot longer than I expect. There's <laughs> 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 certainly some experience in that area. Catching a 4 a.m. Yeah. 4 a.m. ferry rides. Um, Casper, so wh- where do we go from here? Where are the hotels? I mean, la- obviously, it sounds like labor is a big thing. Um, where are you going to get those people from? Well, I mean, um, how do you resolve that bottleneck? I mean, I think there's uh, several uh, options that we can uh, look into. Uh, uh, free up the local labor uh, uh, supply, that's one thing. Uh, but there's only so much we can do at full capacity right now. 
the next thing we we should look at the mainland China. Uh, uh, people in mainland telling me uh, the whole country we have like you no know, ten million graduates every year. <laughs> so Whoa. well, yeah. they they have a high unemployment issue. Uh, is it something sure. that we can work together? And you know, uh, another capacity issue is let's work with the cities around us. Mm. Uh, Macau, Zhuhai, uh, Shenzhen. Uh, you know, it, we also plan a Greater Bay uh, one trip multi city. Uh, destination. So, how can we work together and mm-hmm. spread it out? So, there are many things we can we can look into. But yes, uh, uh, short run, we need the local labor supply. We need those uh, uh, workers coming out. Or we need to find workers. Otherwise, you know, long term, it's going to affect our service uh, 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 in the long run. Professor Song, is that realistic? Uh, are the universities collaborating so we can bring some of those mainland graduates from the tourism study sectors and bring them into Hong Kong after they graduate? Yeah, I'm actually very uh, optimistic about the future. Although there's some uh, bottlenecks, uh, uh, you know, you see recently, but I'm sure uh, when uh, time uh, passes by, the labor which probably move out from the industry during the COVID period, they will gradually come up if the wages increases. And actually, this is another uh, issue related to labor demand and supply. If uh, the supply uh, gradually, you know, uh, return to uh, the industry, and then, uh, you know, will uh, probably um, uh, recover to uh, pre-COVID-19 level uh, very soon. So in terms of bring labor to from uh, mainland China or other countries, I think that's a good idea. Very soon. How soon is very soon to get us back on track? Uh, well, actually, we also have done some uh, forecasts uh, in our school. Actually, uh, we will uh, see probably a return to 70, 80 percent by the end of the year. Maybe mid of next year will be fully uh, back to normal, to normal. And when you ask the airlines, are you going to be at 70, 80 percent at this time? Because one, one is dependent on the other, yes? Yes, I think that's uh, yeah. The uh, tourism industry actually is uh, related to uh, many sectors. So uh, I think uh, if uh, the demand is there, and then the supply will match. Casper, is your are your are your number? Are you guys do you have your own, I don't know. Do you have your own independent research? I don't in my association. I would love to, but do you have a, do you have a kind of research people that look uh, at these types of numbers? Well, we we do uh, uh, work with the industry players, uh, uh, tourism board, and all that. Uh, but uh, the numbers are fluctuating quite a bit. So we we actually getting uh, new numbers uh, mm. on the shortage and the recovery. Uh, <clears throat> it's positive. Uh, the only downside is, is uh, we can't find labor. Uh, that's something that we we don't have solutions. For. Really, really the bottom bottleneck, as it were. Professor McCartney, are, are you, uh, I mean, is Macau already back up to pre-COVID levels, or are you, you know, what are your expectations on that front? I, I would I would agree with Professor Song on his numbers there. We'd be Macau 75, 70% this year, full recovery 2024. It's looking like that on the, on the gaming revenues and so forth, the trajectory going into the summertime. But the, the issue with um, labor, and, and it's very important, I mean, I, I mean, it, 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 we can have, uh, I think, technical skills and frontline training is very, very important because these service touch points. And more and more, what we've learned during the 
in, in China during the, the three years. I mean, I, I was traveling a few times because Macau has the, uh, the travel corridor. So I actually, I was in China during the, the COVID-19 restrictions. So I went to beach resorts and so forth, and they were really full. Uh, I was in Hainan Island, and I, the tourism was pumping. It was really, really good. Um, and one thing, there's, there's been a lot of learning in three years in China during that. Um, and there's a new generation of travelers. Social media savvy will, rep- will report image, will report text image very, very fast. So I think the issue of service touch points and delivering really at the front, you know, in Hong Kong will, 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 will be very important. So labor is one thing, but having skilled and qualified labor at the front to deliver, to deliver in a very high service expectations of a new, of a new, a new traveler, but also a traveler much more savvy and understanding and will report on social media is much, much more important coming out of the, the into 2023-2024. Um, and as I said, they, 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 that's how, that's really important that you would have uh, a qualified pool of labor coming out of this as well. So it's okay. not just about numbers because it's productivity of staff as well. So, you know, these are issues as I think as you look at the, you know, uh, the gaps in your, in your capacity constraints. All right. Well, uh, maybe if some people are making it time, time for a career change, time to sign up uh, to study at the University of Macau in the Integrated Resort and Tourism Management Program, where you'll find a professor named Glenn McCartney, who's an associate and professor. Thanks very much. Oh, I'm getting to you. Don't worry, Professor Song. I'm not going to forget it. Professor Song, if you're in Hong Kong, yeah, sign up at Holly Polytechnic University at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management to study under Hyung Song, Chair, Professor, and Associate Dean. And if you are successful in either of those two programs, maybe you can work for one of the hotels owned by one of the members of the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners, where you find Casper Ying Wai Toy. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today, gentlemen. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, I'm Michael Wong, the Deputy Financial Secretary. For the past 95 years, our THK has shared a common journey with Hong Kong people. Going forward, I trust that our THK will continue to provide Hong Kong with more programs that are rich in content and that can move our hearts. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. With Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Now And now police are relaxing hiring standards after it met only around 40% of a recent recruitment target. Minimum height and weight requirements will be scrapped and potential recruits can wear glasses or contact lenses during eye tests. On top of that, proficiency in Chinese and English has also been relaxed. To comment on the changes, we're now joined on the line by Charles Wong, a former assistant police commissioner. Good morning, Mr. Wong. Oh, good morning, uh, Janice. Glad to be here. And thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so what do you think of the relaxed requirements? Uh, do you think it will have any impact on the uh, work of frontline officers? Uh, I think the uh, term relaxation of uh, requirement may be a misunderstanding. In fact, uh, there was uh, some major changes in the requirement. For example, uh, the uh, bringing the weight and height requirement to the same as rest of the discipline service. Uh, and uh, allowing uh, sort of people to wear glasses uh, to join the police. I myself uh, wear spectacles when I join the police, so it's not something new. 
Uh, and also, uh, the English standard is not relaxed either. I'll explain later. But generally, uh, it is not a relaxation of standard, but uh, uh, it's a flexible arrangement to allow more people with talent who would otherwise may not be able to join the police. Uh, I think for, for several years, um, the police worldwide have been focusing on recruitment, recruiting young people uh, with the right character, commitment and competency instead of just uh, physical uh, appearance. Uh, say in Australia, uh, they do not put any uh, specific height or weight requirement, but uh, you must be able to perform certain tasks. So if your weight and height stop you from being able to do that task, you're out. So uh, the flexibility in requirement is not the issue. The important thing is that the police passing out requirements, uh, both in terms of physics uh, and capability, and also the use of language, uh, remains the same. So it allowed more people with talent to be able to apply. Come now, uh, what, what does it affect the, the work of a police officer? Uh, I don't think it would uh, affect the, the work of a police officer. Um, if you now, um, I think uh, police officer obviously need to be able to have good physique, uh, physical strength, and skills uh, to do the things that they are required to do. And in fact, uh, for years that have been uh, a police culture. You will see police officer uh, in their spare time or when they're dur- or during lunch they run, do weight lifting. And in particular, uh, officers in specialist units like uh, the police tactical unit, emergency unit, airport security unit, I mean, they are really, really fit. Now, the fitness provides them to stay calm during a stressful situation and allow them to think and do their job. Mm. So uh, we are not uh, using strength to subdue people, but rather the ability to use uh, appropriate verbal skills, body language, and group tactics in order to resolve an incident peacefully. So uh, police are not, not focusing on strong people. Right. To, Mr. To, Wong, to Mr. That. Wong, but the, the most important thing is uh, will these changes help attract uh, more people to join the force? Because uh, like I mentioned in the introduction, um, like a recent recruitment, it only attracted uh, um, only around 40% of, of the uh, actual target set. Uh, even in the private sector that I experienced, we have problems. Uh, attracting young people. I think uh, this is uh, a social issue that needs to be addressed in a broader sense. Um, police uh, recruitment uh, since uh, 2019 has dropped uh, from, I think, about 700 to 800 that time to about 500 now. It's better than last year. Uh, so there's a reason to it. Be it um, young people are no longer committed to doing a job or the nature of the job has deterred them from uh, uh, applying, I don't know. But this needs to, a survey must be done to find out what are the, the true causes and addressing those. But on specifically on um, changing the height requirement uh, would allow people who are a little bit shorter, a little bit uh, lighter, uh, to be able to be also considered and be trained up to the uh, required standard of uh, physical fitness and ability uh, to do the work of a police officer. And as I've mentioned, in, in Australia as well as in uh, the UK, 
uh, there's no uh, restriction on uh, height and weight anymore. Hmm. They require you to do operation competency test. If you can do it, you pass. If you can't, you're out. So this is also the way that the Hong Kong police uh, does it. The second issue is about the relaxation of uh, English and, uh, uh, and Chinese standard. I think that is not truly the case. I think the intention of the police is to uh, be flexible and innovative, allowing uh, people uh, who didn't get the, the two papers in the DSE to actually take a test to meet the late level, as opposed to waiting for another year, take the DSE again, uh, and then uh, applying for the police again. So that would actually make it easier for, for more people to, to join. Right. And apart so, from making it easier for people to join, um, what else uh, can, can, can be done to, to attract people? Now, I think uh, uh, the police job is a very meaningful job that offers good uh, career development opportunities and uh, training and also promotion prospects. Uh, police uh, is not the first job that I joined. Uh, I started as a, 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 a bank staff and then worked in immigration for five years. Uh, during those five years, I had the opportunity to work with the force, and I find that uh, police work is a lot more than just patrolling the, uh, the streets. You have a lot of uh, opportunity to talk with people, to help people resolving uh, their problem, and that, that gave, gave me a lot of satisfaction. And also, we train in groups. The uh, comradeship is, is great. And also, there are 30 to 40 different jobs to choose from. Uh, for example, I chose uh, hostage negotiation. I chose um, knowledge management, uh, as, which are my uh, area of interest. So uh, the ability to be able to find the interest that you want in the police uh, is key to uh, why I joined the police. So what was needed most is, in addition to... Uh, sort of making it flexible for more people to come in is to let people know, both externally and internally inside the force, that there are great career development opportunities mm-hmm. and promotion prospects. Now, uh, I do not have a degree when I joined the police, but in my 30 years in the police, I've been sent to some of the top co- uh, university uh, in the world to, to, for, for training. I, the force sent me to study at UC Berkeley, uh, mm-hmm. to study at the Harvard University, and also study at the Cambridge University, where I got my uh, master's degree in police studies. Mm. So I, I would not have the opportunity to do my tertiary education. It w- was not uh, in the force. So I think these success stories uh, need to be um, made known to young people who aspire to uh, greater promotion prospects and, and career development. We, we've got about a minute left. Uh, very quickly, what about immigration? You know, over 100 years ago, a lot of our police came from outside of Hong Kong. Uh, we just talked about to the hotel and restaurant industry, and they said they're very open to importing people because they also have a big labor shortage right now. Could we import people and then train them in Cantonese and how to become police? Uh, to me, uh, I enjoy working with uh, expatriate officers. Uh, learning about their culture, the different ways of doing things, and they bring uh, a, a lot of new ideas. So I think um, recruitment overseas uh, is uh, is great. And I hope that to somehow resume 
uh, sort of taking into consideration the difficulties we, we are facing with uh, uh, internationally. Uh, but one thing that I, I think can be done in between is to recruit from the uh, Bay area. Yeah, I think, absolutely. Uh, people there speak Cantonese. All right. uh, they, they are they are very uh, committed. Uh, they have a culture which uh, I think for people who travel to Shenzhen, to Guangzhou will know. Uh, they are very friendly. They are very committed. Very determined to get results and very helpful also. And they I mean, could be a great source of police. Uh, thank you very much, Charles Wong, former assistant police commissioner. We are hit at the top of the hour, but we really appreciate having you on. Have to have you back on again. And that has been back chat on May the fifth. The day after May the 4th. Thank you very much. I've been Andrew Work, uh, and I will continue to be Andrew Work. And this is Janice Wong, and this is Back Chat. And of course, Back Chat will be back on Monday.